listening to the Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad you could join us today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda. This week's episode is for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, the 107th episode of the show. Uh, For this week, I'm going to be doing yet another uh, track-by-track album review with my wonderful and amazing wife, Allison. But we're going to be doing something just slightly different as opposed to the previous episodes we've done reviewing albums track-by-track. We're actually going to be reviewing No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom album, which is not celebrating any anniversary whatsoever. It's just because (laughs) we we both love No Doubt. Uh, I was actually looking for an episode for this week. I didn't have anything initially planned. And Allison's actually reached out to me and asked me, hey, I'd love to jump in and do one of these uh, track-by-track album review episodes. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, you know what? If we did so, it'd be really cool to review an album we both absolutely love. So uh tragic kingdom was the logical choice so we talk about no doubt we talk about tragic kingdom the recording process it's really really great and fun and yeah it's always great to have allison on the show uh definitely my all-time favorite guests along with avery (laughs) no disrespect intended to all my other guests you guys are great too uh before we get to my conversation with allison talking about no doubt's tragic kingdom album though i do want to touch in a, a few items of news uh carl weathers passed away i know most people are probably familiar with that they probably feel really deeply about it as well uh well loved in in hollywood amongst many of his peers you know uh, it was cool to see some of the touching tributes that were made out to him by sylvester stallone who obviously co-starred on the rocky movies with him uh adam sandler did a really cool tribute as well you know he was in there in the comedy happy gilmore together which i think is actually adam sandler's best comedy He's done so many other great roles too. Predator, The Mandalorian most recently. So if you're a Star Wars fan, you know him from that and probably loved his character of Grief Cargan. Uh, he had a really funny appearance in Arrested Development playing himself and cheating Tobias out of money. It's, it's actually just really cool watching an actor play themselves on screen. Uh, so yeah, so special tribute to, to Carl Weathers. You'll be missed. We, we loved you. Your, your roles were really great and awesome. I do want to insert a really... Uh, cool interesting clip from rocky 3 the very concluding scene of rocky 3 when uh uh, sylvester stallone and carl weathers are having their friendly banter about like you know we gotta decide who's the best fighter here and now no cameras no reporters just the two of us just going at it so it's a well-known well-known scene from the movie i'm gonna go ahead and insert this clip right now into the show in order to pay tribute to carl weathers come on come on we made a deal I know, but this is extremely crazy. Yeah, it's mentally irregular, right? Yeah. But it makes all the sense in the world. Huh? You owe me a favor. I know, but uh, what'd you think of this? About three years ago. Oh, this is very crazy, Paul. Look, Stallion. Now look, when you run that last fight, you won by one second. You beat me by one second, one second. That's very hard for a man of my intelligence to handle. Oh, is it? But didn't you say after I beat you, you learned how to live with it? I lied. Oh, you lied. <laughs> oh, oh, so now you just got to prove it to yourself, just right? Just myself. No TV, no newspapers, just you and me. Nothing, just you and me. Uh, age before beauty. Anything you say, Stan. Uh, I, I do all the work, all okay? Right. <laughs> I'll tell you, Bob. Better go slow, because you ain't as young as springtime no more. I'm still young enough to whip your butt, Stan. Oh, yeah? Well, how are you going to do that? You taught me everything you know. Almost everything. You got to remember now. 
You fight great, but I'm a great fighter. Huh? You ready? Oh, absolutely. All right. You know, Stallion, it's too bad we gotta get over, huh? <laughs> uh, just keep punching, Apollo. Wanna ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. Come on, Stallion. So there you go. I mean, I, I think that line that uh, Apollo Creed says to Rocky is very poignant right now. Just so it's a shame that we have to get old stallion. Uh, you know, Carl Weathers was only 76 when he passed away peacefully in his sleep. I mean, not really old at all. But, you know, in response, Rocky tells him, hey, we just got to keep punching. We just got to keep pushing through through life. Uh, make the most of the time we have, which is very precious in, in life. So uh, rest in peace to Carl Weathers. Um, next, FIFA announced uh, the World Cup dates for 2026. If you want to jump online, you can check out the FIFA website and get all the specific dates for every game to play to be played during the tournament. Feel free to do so. But I want to highlight some of the United States men's national team games for the group stage, which are all going to be West Coast games. Uh, June 12th at SoFi Stadium. Really, really cool. June 19th at uh, Lumen Field in Seattle. Uh, it's so strange that the the Seahawks stadium keeps changing names. I remember when it was a uh, quest field now, and then it was a century link, I think for a while now, I guess it's Lumen field, but anyways, yeah. So staying in Seattle for the West coast and then on, on June 25th back at SoFi. So it's really cool that they get to play all their group stage games on the West coast. I know uh, with the travel that teams have to do playing, you know, in North America, it makes sense for groups to kind of stay centralized as much as possible. So they don't have to travel too much for their games. Uh, and then uh, July 4th, uh, Philadelphia is going to host a round of 16 game on the day that's going to be the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, an absolute perfect day to hold a sporting event in uh, the city of Philadelphia. Just fingers crossed, hoping that is the USA in that game. <laughs> I don't know if it works out scheduling wise, if, if it would be, I mean, the USA has to get through the group stage into the round of 16 for sure. Uh, so it'd be really, really cool if USA gets to play that game on Philadelphia on July 4th uh, for the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And then lastly, the final is going to be held at MetLife Stadium on July 19th, which is kind of interesting because I, I was reading up until this point that uh, AT&T Stadium in Dallas was actually the front runner for getting the final, but it looks like MetLife is going to get it. Uh, regardless, so uh, really excited that we're just uh, a, a little under two years away for the World Cup. Very, very excited for that. Uh, Cobra Kai season six is now filming, uh, which is cool to get that confirmation. Uh, you never know sometimes with productions being stopped because of the writer strike and actor strike, but the cameras are, in fact, rolling. Uh, production is well underway. When we're going to get Cobra Kai season six, the final season, I'm hoping maybe end of this year, but it will most likely be hopefully sometime next year. And then also that begs the question to find out what's going to happen with the Karate Kid movie with Ralph Macchio and Jackie Chan, which was advertised to be released this December in 2024. But I don't see how they're going to get it out in time. So I'm keeping my eye on that story. Uh, more Cobra Kai to come. And of course, the, the Jackie Chan and uh, Ralph Macchio Karate Kid movie, which would be really cool as well. And then last but not least, I want to give a special shout out to my good friend, Jeremy Moyes, who's been on the, the podcast before. He and his friends just launched a new podcast called Things My Wife Like. Uh, it's really cool. Check them out on Spotify or wherever you stream your podcast. It's a really interesting, cool take. I, I think it's a really cool concept they're doing, talking about things that their wives like and how it kind of appeals to men or or 
what men can get out of it. So yeah, it's a cool po- podcast. So I'd recommend checking it out. Uh, so special shout out to Jeremy Moise. Okay, so that's it for my news. Sorry, I'm taking up too much time. Uh, please enjoy my conversation with my wife, Allison. We are diving into and um, analyzing No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom track by track here on the Casting for Fun podcast. So welcome back to the show, Allison Pineda. Allison, how are you doing, Spiar? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. It's, it's always great to have you on the show and uh, to have you on for this new format that I've incorporated into the show of doing a, a track-by-track analysis of music that I enjoy. It's always uh, great to try something new with you, and I think you'll have uh, we'll have a really cool conversation talking about this particular album. I think so. I'm sorry I lost my voice. I just realized we probably shouldn't record with it like this. Uh, do you want to stop? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Don't. You should cut that part out. Okay, I'll cut it. We'll be fine. Okay. Okay, but, uh, but I did. I should like warn people that I've lost it for a good reason, so people don't think I'm sick. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, we had a fun weekend with friends and it's always great, but here we are recording. Uh, we're going to be talking about No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, which is a, a little unusual because I, I've been doing album reviews for albums that have been celebrating anniversaries. Uh, Tragic Kingdom is not celebrating any type of anniversary, but I mean, it, Gwen Stefani and the band have been in the news because they're reuniting to play at Coachella, which is pretty cool. And she's actually going to be doing several other like shows, warming up, getting ready for Coachella. She's going to be playing uh, like a reggae festival here in L.A. Uh, sometime in February later this month. That should be pretty cool. And a year ago, we actually had the opportunity to see Gwen play with the band, not, not with the other No Doubt guys, but perform uh, several No Doubt songs, including her own solo stuff uh, when she was performing jointly with her husband, Blake Shelton, which I know is a memorable night for you, right? Yes, my two favorites together. Very cool. So yeah, we want to just talk about No Doubt because we both love this this particular band. And it's kind of interesting to think that in our marriage, you know, there's there's music that I like, there's music that Allison likes, there's bands and music that we refer to as Al- Albert music or Allison music. But No Doubt really falls into the category of like uh, being both of ours. So there's like a Venn diagram. No Doubt's right in the middle. <laughs> and there's not very many artists that are, I think. Yeah, yeah. But but again, there, there are artists that I think clearly fall under the Allison category that I do enjoy. And there's artists. Taylor Swift? No. <laughs> no. Uh, did you see they did, she did announce she has a new record coming out later this year? No. It was at the Grammys tonight. This will be the only time I ever talk about Taylor Swift on my podcast. But don't don't promise things. That you can't be about. <laughs> yeah, I guess April she's releasing a new album. So. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. Yeah, it was just announced because uh, the Grammys were tonight. Uh, we're recording is a few days early. And then obviously this will be released on Wednesday of this week. But anyways. um, Yeah, so we're going to be talking, no doubt, uh, Tragic Kingdom track by track. I think it's going to be really cool and fun. And I think you're going to learn some new things. And I think we're going to have just a fun conversation, uh, giving our thoughts on this this particular particular landmark album which was definitely one of the most prolific greatest albums of music in the 90s yeah i think you're gonna like totally school me with any facts and trivia i just like the music and that's as far as i'm like my efforts go but you're gonna totally school me on and everything else but i'm here 
Okay, well, it's always good to have you here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really quick, though, you did get the opportunity to see the full band, not just Gwen by herself with a backup band, but you saw the full band in concert, right? I've never had that opportunity before. Yeah, and unlike you, I can't remember what year it was or when it was. Do you remember me telling you? It had to have been in 2012 when we had our first date, and I remember the band Best Coast opened for them. And you got oh, to see them. I remember that. Oh, I wanted to go. I, I was actually thinking, oh, maybe I should get tickets. I didn't. And then we went on our first date. And then Allison, I mentioned, oh, she has tickets. She was going to that particular concert. You're amazing. It was at the old uh, Universal Amphitheater, which has since been demolished. The old, it was part of Universal City Walk. It was demolished to make way for uh, Harry Potter Land, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, oh, so I, I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a very famous venue in here in the L.A. area that they had to demolish for that purpose. But so, yeah, you, I think you got to go to one of the last concerts there, which is pretty cool. That is cool, but also sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I mean, there's plenty of cool concert venues here in the area. So but yeah, it is kind of sad when some of the cooler, more historic ones get torn down. But which, that's just part of uh, the, the way things go in the music industry. Yeah. But uh, so so let's go ahead and jump into uh, some uh, Tragic Kingdom talk. So really quick, just a few random facts, and then we'll go into the album track by track. Uh, Tragic Kingdom, again, not celebrating an anniversary, but because that's my podcast, I can do whatever I want. Uh, it was first released on October 10th, 1995. So technically next year in 2025, it'll celebrate its 30th anniversary. But um, the recording process for this album was really long. It was uh, just over two years, starting from 93 to 95. Uh, Matthew Wilder, uh, he's the guy who's uh, he sings that song, uh, Ain't Nobody Gonna Break My Stride, mm-hmm. Ain't Nobody Gonna Hold Me Down. Oh, Whoa. no, I <laughs> got, got to, to keep, keep it. Yeah, so so he served as the producer on this particular record. But <laughs> what's kind of interesting is him being hired by the record label, I guess, kind of rubbed uh, Eric Stefani, Gwen's brother, the wrong way. And apparently, there was like, you know, butting heads, just like conflicts or whatever it was uh eric stefani ended up leaving the band i don't know if you knew that that her brother was part of the band no you didn't okay no but uh so so he left to actually become an animator for the simpsons which is kind of interesting too cool as well but also uh many many years later so in 2019 this would be more music i think you're familiar with as well gwen did her song uh, let me reintroduce myself Mm -hmm. it was actually musically composed and uh eric stefani teamed up with her again on that particular Mm -hmm. song so many, many years after he had left, no doubt, he actually got to team up with his sister again, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the recording process was very difficult and hard uh, with Eric being the primary songwriter for the band up until that point. I mean, a lot of the other band members, particularly Gwen, really stepped up and a lot of the songs deal what was going on personally with her. So I don't know if you know this, but she had been dating her her bandmate, uh, Tony Canal, mm-hmm. and they broke up during the process. Oh, that's awkward. Yeah, that is kind of awkward. <laughs> Several <laughs> of the songs deal with their breakup and were actually specifically written by Gwen, which is kind of interesting. So we'll get into that as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, the album features seven singles or technically six, but a seven single will count, uh, which is really crazy to think that it was actually the album only had four, had 14 songs. So half the album was actually released as singles. That's crazy. Yeah. And 60 million albums sold worldwide, which is really incredible to think that uh, before that, they're really an unknown band that was maybe just selling a few thousand records to begin with. But then all of a sudden, like, their popularity just exploded and we're going to get into that as well uh but again as i mentioned at the top of the show i would consider the tragic kingdom to be one of the most like quintessential albums of the 90s so regardless of what musical genre was your favorite i mean i think everybody had a copy of a tragic kingdom on cd Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. agreed 
Very cool. So so let's go ahead and uh, jump into it. I think this will be really, really cool. Let's go ahead and jump into the album track by track. So again, feel free to share your thoughts, how you think of that particular song. I'll share uh, interesting facts as well. And I think this will be a fun conversation for us. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so let's go into track number one. This is the second single on the album, Spiderwebs. number one spider web uh you know what what i think really really drew me into the band i want to ask you this question too was the fact that it was so unique their sound like i hadn't really been familiar with ska music and in this particular record i think it features a corporation of many sounds but first and foremost i mean yes they were ska they were the the horn section thrown in with like you know rock music which became really popular and in fact i mean uh, after the success of No Doubt, so many other bands rose up, like the Mighty Mighty Bostones, or rose up in popularity. They were playing as well, just like No Doubt. So Mighty Mighty Bostones, Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, Say Ferris. You, have you heard of any of those bands? I have heard of them all. Okay, Thank good. You. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't name songs from every single one, every single person, but I heard of them. No, it's okay. In fact, actually, it's kind of interesting to think that the 16 million that they sold by themselves for uh, Tragic Kingdom is probably more than all those other bands combined mm-hmm. selling at the same time 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 frame Mm -hmm. and no disrespect intended to them but i mean clearly no doubt was the main driving force for the popularity of a a third wave ska and why it became so popular in the mid 90s and a large reason i feel is because of this particular song spider webs with all due respect to just a girl i think this is the song that really drove them into mainstream popularity um and apparently this song was uh you know co-written by gwen and tony you know after they had broken up uh but apparently it was written by uh, an admirer that gwen had that was reciting bad poetry to her and trying to woo her. So I guess it was kind of like, you know, maybe like you're getting tangled up with a bunch of like loser guys trying to reach out mm-hmm. to you. So I can get to the spider webs. It's kind of indicating like, you know, the tangled phone lines. And she says, uh, leave a message and I'll call you back kind of thing. So whereas she maybe has no intention at all calling these not, not so desirable guys back. Right. So her ex-boyfriend helped her write a song about other guys trying to get her. Apparently. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would consider this to be among the best of the, the whole record. In fact, it's probably we'll get to the end. We'll, we'll list which songs I think are our favorites, but this is definitely one of my favorites from this particular album. It's one of my favorites, not my favorite, but one of my favorites. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. OK, let's jump into uh, track number two. This was also a single, uh, the fourth single released on the album, released in August of 1996 as a single. This is Excuse Me, Mister. <laughs> No love 
that was track number two, excuse me, Mr., the fourth single from the record. Uh, two versions of this song were actually written, uh, which is kind of interesting to learn as I was researching this uh, podcast, so this album for the podcast. A punk rock, like, faster version, which is obviously the version that we got, and apparently a countrified version that was done at the behest of the producer, Matthew Wilder. So it's it's kind of interesting to me. I don't know if this may have been one of the... Uh, disputing aspects that he had with Eric Stefani that possibly led to a little bit of a fallout, but it's, it's interesting the, that apparently the, the countrified version was recorded, but I don't know if it was ever kept, so I don't know if anyone's ever heard that version of the song, but this faster punk rock version I think is really cool. I remember just hearing the song on K-Rock all the time back in the day, and the music video was really fun too, like, you know, it was kind of like an old western night uh Gwen's playing the the Danzo in distress waiting for a guy to rescue her but no guy shows so she saves herself from being run over by the train and it's kind of just like a fun music video I thought so this was a really cool song too okay now I'm googling to find the countryfied version to see if it really exists because that's the coolest oh okay anything no, no I mean nothing so far oh okay <laughs> so was this one of your favorite songs as well again like with seven singles like this was probably one of the songs that was frequently played over the radio and shown with a music video on mtv i mean i think it was pretty cool that there was a music music video i do remember that um i also think it was um like before her time kind of scenario like i'm not a super feminist girl but i think it was before her time to be like i'm gonna save myself mm-hmm. because that hadn't really gotten popular even then mm-hmm. for the girl to to like be like i can do it and i can take charge so yeah. i do admire that they she was like thinking ahead of times too for that yeah there you go okay let's go ahead and jump into uh track number three this may be one of the most recognizable songs on the record the very first single and maybe one of the songs that first really introduced uh the mainstream audiences to the band this is uh just a girl So that was Just a Girl, the first single from the record, uh, written about Gwen's own perspective of life as a girl and the struggles that she had with her parents. I mean, again, uh, it was still kind of an era when uh, girls were kind of like maybe looked down upon in certain respects. So, I mean, hopefully she had a good relationship with her parents. That's just what I read online, that it was kind of a leaning towards the, the, those themes. A uh, very popular song as well and used in many aspects of pop culture. Like, you know, it's interesting that in 1995, the coolest 
uh, movie came out. This song was used in the movie. It wasn't featured on the soundtrack, but it was used in the movie uh, a few months before the album was actually released. So people watching Clueless probably heard that song, maybe think, hey, who's that band? That's a cool band. And then, you know, a few months later, the album gets released. And then, of course, also in the 90s, you had the movie uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion with Lisa Kudrow. Have you seen that one? Never seen it. Oh, okay. Parts of it, but never the whole thing. Okay, so that song is also used in that movie. And then more recently, in 2019, it was used in Captain Marvel, which also, you know, like, the same themes of like girl empowerment that I'm, I'm more than just a girl. I can actually, or like just being, just being called a girl shouldn't be just like a, a disparaging remark that girls are really awesome and cool and uh, taking place around the same time in 1995, the Captain Marvel movie, the same year that the album was released. So what did you think of just a girl? Was this the song that introduced you to the band? Was this kind of an inspiring song for you? It's my favorite one. <laughs> I know you're going to get to favorites later, but it is my favorite song. I think it's, um, Again, I'm not like super feminist, so the, the lyrics are cool, but it's not like this is my song of my life. But I do, um, I love the way she sings it like live. Like when mm-hmm. she sings it live, she goes, just a girl. And she's like, my voice is not going to do it justice tonight. But it, she just like raises her voice super high pitched and gets kind of squealy. Have you heard that version where she kind of does that? Yeah, well, I mean, well, we got to, again, lots to see her in concert last year. And I yeah. think I remember we, talking about it when she, she sang it like that. that yeah, right? yeah. And I just think that's so fun. And then I like when she has um like all the girls sing it for her in the audience Mm -hmm. um and i just think that's really fun so i feel like this this track really brings out her personality and shows that she's just a super fun chick oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah and then also i mean again it's it's again shown from you know the feminist side i guess but it's got a really kind of hard like rock edge to it so Mm -hmm. like back in her the early days of the band when they were playing small clubs in la and orange county uh this would probably be a song that could really get the mosh pit going pretty good yeah yeah that's true (laughs) because it has a good rock sound to it but uh very cool okay so let's go ahead and dive into track number four this is happy now So that was Happy Now, uh, the sixth single from the the album released in September of uh, 1997. So, you know, almost two years after the album initially came out, they're they're still pumping out those singles and the album's still rising in popularity, which is really, really cool. Uh, No music video for this particular song, but it was very much in heavy rotation on uh, rock stations back in the day, particularly K-Rock and even probably Y107, if you remember that rock Mm -hmm. station. Yeah. That. So, you know, a cool, really cool ska and rock song uh, dealing, again, one of the many songs that deals with the breakup between Gwen and Tony. Uh, and again, as I mentioned previously, this was a song that 
I mean, that, that material, that personal life experiences that was going on with Gwen and Tony at the time was really prevalent because, again, the writing process was primarily done beforehand by Eric, who ended up leading during the process. So, again, it's kind of cool to to hear these type of songs and know that, yes, there were there were band turmoil and the band came really close to breaking up, but they were able to stick it through and actually come up with some really cool material based on some of the experiences they had, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting to to think that it was half written by her brother, boyfriend, and then her ex, and then herself, and mm-hmm. somehow it still all meshes and yeah. is a great song. Like that speaks to those who were writing and involved in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, very cool. Okay, let's jump into track number five. So here we are, the fifth track on the album, and we're finally coming across a song that wasn't a single. <laughs> this is uh, track number five, "Different People." So that was a uh, different people. And uh, as I was recent researching this podcast, I found out some interesting information. According to the website, songfacts.com. And again, I, it'd be cool to have someone verify to make sure this is actually correct. That website claims that this was actually the very first song that Gwen contributed to as a writer. So as the writing process is going, this is the first one that she actually put pen down, uh, ink down to pen and actually started penning, writing some stuff. So I, I would imagine that that this would mean that this song was maybe particularly meaningful for her. If it was the very first one that she ever helped to write, uh, you know, great ska rock song has a really cool horn section. And so it kind of like incorporates that, that really cool sound that they are known for. And the lyrics are really inspiring and cool. In fact, I want to read just a, a, mar- uh, a line here from the song. Uh, well, things can be broken down in this world of ours. You don't have to be a famous person just to leave a mark. A mother can be an inspiration to her little son. So it's, it's really cool just to think like uh, the way that she was thinking for this song that you don't have to be a famous person to, to leave your mark on the world. You can actually do so many amazing, great things without actually having the fame and fortune that come along with it. And that mothers, in this case, she mentions mothers, but really anybody can be an inspiration to those around them. And of course, mothers are wonderful and great. I can attest to that as well mm-hmm. for how awesome my mom and how awesome the, what, the mother of my children are. So what did you think of this song, Different People? I know this wasn't one of the, this would be, I guess, considered a deep deep cut song because it wasn't a single. Uh, you had to really be like listening to the whole album to really hear the song, right? Because it's kind of placed right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I love about this song is like, it picks up the deep tones of her voice. I think she has a very unique voice and sometimes it's a little bit more high pitched and sometimes it's deeper, but this one like has like the really deep tones. So especially when she says the lyric, Different People, and I think that speaks to her talent and um, just her unique tone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very cool. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into track number six. This is the seventh and final single of the, of the album, Hey You. 
So that was Hey You, uh, the seventh unofficial single of the, the song. I have a lot to say about this one, Unpacked. A lot of interesting information. So so technically, uh, this song was released as a CD single exclusively in the Netherlands. So because it was released, it was released as a single, not in the United States, but in the Netherlands. This counts as like the seventh single. Uh, most people would probably only count the album as having six, but it, it was written in, in various uh, articles that technically the album contained contained seven singles. Uh, this was the final song to feature uh, Eric Stefani contributing to the songwriting process. Very 90 sounding, mm-hmm. but with the beginning, it sounds really cool, but I think it's a, uh, they're definitely a product of its time. And I mean that in a good way, I think it's really cool sounding, but it's interesting that the lyrics actually deal with a more like cynical view of marriage. Like, you know, she's saying like, you're just like my, my Ken and Barbie doll, like, you know, kind of like a, indicating that it's very like formulaic i guess to Mm -hmm. to get married uh so not necessarily looking at marriage in a positive light but i also think that this is kind of more gwen style of writing songs that are kind of like the tongue-in-cheek in in, like its uh approach like maybe like on a more sarcastic kind of like being kind of funny way right Mm -hmm. What, what do you think of this song yeah i mean i think she has a way of being a little bit um uh under the belt (laughs) <laughs> is the word I would use without like really being insulting to anybody in particular. Mm-hmm. But I like that because I think that, I mean, some of my favorite artists are ones that are just able to be real and honest and sincere about what's going on in their own lives and put that into lyrics. And so I think she does a really good job of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the record, I mean, you can, again, make the argument that I really think the song is written in a tongue in cheek style format because we learned you know just a few months after the album was released in october of uh 95 in december of 95 uh no doubt and the band bush would be forming at the key rock acoustic christmas concert where gavin rossell the lead singer of the band would meet gwen they would date they would marry uh many years later have three boys unfortunately go through a divorce pretty messy one but <laughs> but but again obviously gwen did did have like the the home life of uh getting married and i always remember that whenever she would do appearances on the kevin and bean show on k-rock she would always like bake cookies and bring them in like very like sweet very kind of friendly kind of great like it seemed like she was a really cool down-to-earth kind of lady and uh, so, so it, it really seems that her personality is very much different from the, the way the, the, the woman in this song is being described as, but again, like I, like I said, I think it's really tongue in cheek and just like, as Allison mentioned, kind of just like having fun with the song. Right. Yeah. I like that about it. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Let's go ahead and jump into <laughs> track number seven. This is the client. Track number seven, The Climb, uh, you know, another deep cut song, maybe a song that uh, a lot of fans aren't necessarily familiar with. 
Uh, it's the longest in the band's category of music, uh, catalog of music, rather, uh, clocking in at six minutes and 37 seconds. So a really long song, not necessarily radio friendly, but, but it is a cool song. I think it's very, very slow moving, but it's really cool and, and awesome sounding. And the lyrics dealing with like a figurative mountain that needs to be climbed and not giving up despite obstacles and setbacks that are faced. So it's kind of an inspiring song. And I mean, I, I think it po- possibly could have been written in response to the, the struggle she was going through dealing with a breakup that yes i can go ahead and deal with this and and move on and you know as previously mentioned before she she went through a pretty unfortunate nasty divorce with gavin rostell uh and then probably found a better man in (laughs) in blake shelton right so so again yeah (laughs) i I like bush bush is a cool band Um, (laughs) okay but okay (laughs) but anyways yeah so i do think that regardless of what you're going through this is a song that could probably apply to many people who are going through obstacles and feel like you're having to climb like a figurative mountain and despite everything that you're facing i mean don't give up just keep climbing as Gwen talks about in the song right yeah i mean i think it's what i like about the song is that it's like kind of sad but also inspiring Mm -hmm. like it's slower paced than a lot of the other songs it's a little bit like negative um like beat lyric i guess and but then it's all the the lyrics themselves are just really inspiring so it's just a kind of a unique thing and i think when people are well i should speak for myself but when we're going through hard times like we're in this place where we're like i'm kind of down but i also need to be inspired and i think she fills that niche really well mm-hmm. there we go okay let's jump into uh track number eight this is 16 <laughs> Track number eight, uh, 16, the name of the song. Uh, Another deep cut song, really cool sounding, really uh, cool guitar solo featured in it. Very like, you know, fast paced, like uh, fun rock song. Very similar to some of the other songs they've done on this record. Uh, dealing with teenage angst, it sound kind of sounds like the, the lyrical content. I mean, again, it was kind of hard to find much information about this song uh, because, again, not one of the main singles. But I remember listening to this album all the time. Or, you know what? I mean, I guess I, you know, I should probably go ahead and give props to my older brother, Fernando. He bought the CD like right when it came out. So he was among the first to really kind of get into No Doubt. And I remember hearing it play. And then when, when Fernando went away for a missionary service, I was listening to all the CDs <laughs> and I remember hearing this uh, song or uh, thinking it was one of my favorite songs at the time. So what did you think of 16? I know it's again, not, it's a deep cut song, but I think it's still really cool sounding, right? I don't like it. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, okay. and I just feel bad saying that because I love this album. And I love the band. and I love her mm-hmm. music, but I feel like I don't relate to it at all. I don't understand it. And the lyrics don't make sense to me. It's not my favorite. Oh, okay. Maybe if, if you are going through a lot of teenage angst and you're 16, maybe it's a little more. Appealing, yeah, but right? I mean, I was 16 once when the band wasn't that far along and I still didn't get it. 
Okay. Yeah, sorry. But well, you were angsty though, right? What's that? You were angsty though, right? I guess I don't think I was maybe enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Okay, no problem, no problem. But even though, okay, so maybe the first like disagreement, even though I enjoy that song quite a bit, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan. Yeah, it's it's my least favorite on the album. Oh, okay, that, that's, that's interesting to hear. Okay. Yeah. Okay, anyways, let's go ahead and jump into track number nine, Sunday Morning. This was one of the biggest singles on the album, so really excited to play this one, uh, Sunday Morning. to unpack with this particular song uh technically it wasn't released as a commercially a re- commercially released as a single in the u.s but it did receive a ton of like radio airplay and music video play on mtv uh tony canal so obviously gwen stefani's ex-boyfriend who was in the band uh in an interview with rolling stone magazine he actually declared this as his all-time favorite no doubt song mm-hmm. i'm always interested to hear that i mean allison and i we had this conversation before on a previous episode when we were talking about depeche mode where it was mentioned that uh uh, former former member who passed away, Andy Fletcher, really loved the song uh, "World in My Eyes." So I'm always interested to hear when band bandmates or band members can particularly declare this is my favorite song because oftentimes I think a lot of times they'll give like the uh, the uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for the Maybe like socially correct. Yeah, I was just saying basically the kind of like uh, uh, I can't really pick them. I love them all. They're like my children. I can't pick a favorite. Uh, but I, I'm always interested when a band can a band member can pick their favorite song. Uh, this also deals very much with the breakup, the lyrical content. Uh, and I, I love how seamlessly the song 16, the previous song, ties into this one. So if you're listening to the CD, you're just letting it play from track eight to track nine. It just almost like transitions perfectly. So it's a really cool experience, I think, when you're listening to the whole album straight, just to go from 16 to Sunday morning. And, and of course, the music video for this out for this song was really, really fun. So it shows the band like, you know, just at a, a Sunday barbecue, as it were. And then they have like a playful food fight. So it kind of shows to me that, yes, there was like probably tension or you're, I mean, obviously, there could always have to be tension when two people break up. But it kind of seems to me that for the most part, Gwen and Tony were able to put their differences aside and, you know, for the good of the band and still had a good playful relationship with the rest of the band. So that music video, I think kind of shows that, that they're just having fun and you know having a food fight kind of thing like that. So yeah, Sunday morning is definitely one of my favorites as well. Yeah. It's really impressive that you can break up with somebody and still be in a band with them. Like that's <laughs> really, I don't know if I could do that. Um, but that the video where they're having the food fights, my favorite. I mm-hmm. love that so much. It just is such a fun personality showing of them all. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into again. Probably, maybe you know, it'd be interesting to actually read up and re- research. I should have done it myself to find out which single was actually the biggest one. I would imagine it's probably this one, track number ten. Don't speak. Quite a bit to unpack with Don't Speak as well. Uh, the third single from the album released in April 1996, originally a love song, but it was actually rewritten by Gwen after the breakup. And obviously this was probably the most like, uh, absolutely, yes, this is talking about a breakup. <laughs> uh, received several Grammy nominations, You know, great musical compensa- composition in this song. I really love like the Spanish style acoustic mm-hmm. guitar that's featured in the song. Mm-hmm. So very much like a, a great musically composed song, very, very powerful and meaningful with its lyrics. Very successful internationally. I remember as my time as a missionary in Brazil, like we, we would ride around in like little minivans. It was kind of like their public transportation format they would use. And the bus, the, the van driver would be playing like, you know, songs from their radio stations. And then all the way in the year 2000, almost four years after the, the song was released as a single, they're still playing it. And like, it was just really well-loved, I think, internationally, as well as here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still played a lot because it's such a good song. People mm-hmm. love it. Um, like you said, I think the music is really just amazingly written and that the guitar is just so awesome. Um, I think it's just one of their classic songs. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into track number 11. This is You Can Do It. So that's uh, track number 11. You can do it. Uh, deep cut song, just like some of the other ones as well. Uh, disco style. Uh, to be honest, actually, this would be the one song I don't like on this record. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It just like, uh, I mean, I guess it's cool that they want to experiment with something else, but I'm only just kind of like a casual fan of disco. Not really like, I mean, a few songs from the Bee Gees are cool, but yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a really big dis- disco fan when it comes to you know my musical tastes. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm really stretching because there's really not a whole lot to talk about with this particular mm-hmm. song, but the title's kind of fun. Like you, you can do it. Like, uh, did you ever see the Adam Sandler movie, The Wilder Boy? Yeah. 
So you're familiar with that. You can do it. 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 I mean, that's what I just think about. Like, you know, this is a very quintessential 90s album, and they just happen to use a catchphrase that would become popular a few years after it was released. Uh, I don't know. They could also have done a song like, uh, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Or uh, did I do that? Or like any other catchphrase from the 90s would be funny, right? Not that. So So, is this one of your favorites? Do you like this one? No, I'm like you. I'm not a huge disco person. I mean, it does. I think it, again, speaks to their talent that they tried a different genre and I think did it successfully. If you like disco, they did do it successfully. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not my favorite. Okay, so so no no disrespect at all intended to the band, but let's move on. Uh, track number twelve. This is World Go Round. That was track number 12, World Go Round. Uh, this one I enjoyed quite a bit. I, I like the the cool reggae slow style of the song. It's, it's really like a happy song, really kind of fun. Uh, deals with like uh, in, environmentalism. Uh, so again, like caring for the planet, kind of calling out the the people they're talking about, like, you know, uh, trying to ruin the planet. <laughs> uh, again, not, not when wanting to get a, a political side at all, but I mean, it's kind of just a feel-good reggae song, I feel, as far as like the, the musical uh, grooves of the song. So again, not maybe a whole lot to unpack with this particular track. I mean, because it's another deep cut song, but it's a really cool, it just makes me happy listening to the song because of how it sounds. Agreed. That's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Let's go ahead and jump to track number 13. This is Ended on This. So that was uh, track number 13 ended on this. 
Uh, as the song is absolutely talking about the breakup. I mean, you look at this, the line, the opening line, you see it in the past. I had a dream, a fantasy. I thought we would last become a little family. Uh, I mean, does it get any more poignant than that? Right. Seriously. <laughs> uh, I, I love the, the, the pace of it though. It's kind of cool that it's like a, a faster paced rock song, which features piano on top of it as well. So it's a cool sounding song. Yes. It's a deep cut. Maybe not one of necessarily the, the top songs on the record, but I think it's still kind of a cool, uh, song to listen to. Yeah, I was going to say something about the piano. I think that was really cool how they did that. Um, And I still can't get over that she was singing with somebody who she'd broken up with. And it was like they made it work. So I'm just really impressed. (laughs) Okay, so next is going to be the concluding track, the title track of the album, uh, Tragic Kingdom. This one, there's going to be a lot to uh, dive into with this particular song. So I'm really interested and excited to have this conversation with you about this one. So track number 14, the final track on the album, Tragic Kingdom. to unpack with this one this is going to be really fun let's, let's talk about this track okay so tragic kingdom uh it's a play on words i mean obviously uh, i don't think disneyland isn't called this anymore but obviously it was well known by its nickname the magic kingdom right mm-hmm. so play on words tragic kingdom magic kingdom mm-hmm. uh for those who may not be aware i would imagine most people who love no doubt absolutely have to know this but they they're from anaheim california uh they absolutely from my understanding is they absolutely love the city of anaheim uh anaheim loves them uh but it's interesting that if you listen to like the lyrics of this song, you would think that uh, they don't necessarily uh, paint the, the Walt Disney Company in a very positive light, right? So, so listen to some of these lyrics. Okay, once, uh, once there was a magic place, uh, over time it was lost, price increased the cost. So, you know, for those who, who go to Disneyland, I mean, everyone complains about how much it costs, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that they would write this song way back, you know, in you know, 94, 95, when the album came out. And even back then, I guess we were complaining about the price of Disneyland, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have they lost their heads or are they just all blind mice? So obviously that's a reference to Alice in Wonderland, uh, the, the Queen of Hearts, uh, off with their heads. I'll just buy mice, you know, mice, mouse, Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, midgets had disguised themselves as tiny little dwarfs. Uh, my apologies. I mean, again, this was written in the 90s and they actually use that M word. My understanding is that six six uh, digit or six letter M word is kind of uh, offensive. Mm-hmm. So little people, 
uh, again, like for a lot of the characters at Disneyland, you have to get the smaller people that kind of go inside the costumes, right? Mm-hmm. For smaller people, you'll you you never see them outside a costume. But my that's my understanding. A lot of those cast members are really short mm-hmm. in stature, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, uh, this one's kind of funny too for your know, little personal thing for Allison and I. The parade that's electrical it serves no real purpose. <laughs> just takes up a lot of juice just to impress us. So obviously that is referring to the Main Street Electrical Parade. Uh, a little inside joke between Allison and I, for those who don't know, I'm not a fan of the parade. I don't think it's really that <laughs> special. Allison loves it, but apparently Gwen and no doubt agree with me. Uh, at least again, it doesn't if- make you right. <laughs> so I'm just curious for those listening. I mean, those listeners who like to go to Disneyland, do you enjoy the Main Street Electrical Parade? It appears that myself and no doubt we don't necessarily like it too much, right? Well, it's amazing because it's nostalgic. Like when I remember being a little kid sitting there watching and there were lights everywhere and it was so beautiful and dark everywhere else, except for that. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the, like the epitome of magic for a kid. And so to have that. And then like now when they brought it back a little bit, I was like, this is the most amazing thing in the entire world. Like whoever thought of just having a parade, just of lights, like that's creative. Come on. No doubt. <laughs> okay so so here's the thing too about this song so again if you take the song on on, on face value at surface level you would think that yeah the, the band probably doesn't they think very highly of the walt disney company right but i again i really feel that this song is really tongue-in-cheek very much uh, on the same lines of hey you uh the fact that yes again no doubt loves anaheim anaheim loves them uh anaheim as a city gave the band the key to the city back in 2002 i remember when that were, they were talking about that on k-rock that was pretty cool and then just recently gwen was inducted into the orange county hall of fame the inaugural class uh just uh was it in the last year or beginning of this year along with uh, walt disney of, you know, of all people mm-hmm. and uh kobe bryant who are both uh, inducted uh posthumously right because uh, obviously Walt Disney and Kobe Bryant are no longer with us. Uh, it was interesting about Kobe. Sorry, going a little bit off so- topic, but uh, the Bryant, so Kobe, Vanessa, and their girls were longtime residents of Irvine, and I think they helped, like you know, contribute to the city in meaningful, positive ways. So it was kind of interesting what their criteria was for the Orange County Hall of Fame. But obviously, Orange County, Anaheim, they love no doubt they love Gwen Stefani. Uh, so it would seem kind of weird and strange to me, like, hey, do you guys not like Disneyland or not like? Walt Disney, the Walt Disney Company. So I really feel that this song is like a tongue-in-cheek style song. But I'm curious to hear what you think, Allison. I actually think they don't like Disneyland. Really? Yeah, because I feel feel like the song is saying, like, Anaheim's our city and we love it. And then Disneyland came in and took over and destroyed part of it. Like, that's how I feel like. I feel like they're loyal to the original Anaheim and to the city itself. But they didn't love what Disneyland did to the city. Okay, that, that makes sense. I guess you can look at it from the point of view of that. Uh, you know, Anaheim is very much closely associated with Disney because that's where the, the famous theme park is. But I guess like they're not mutually like uh, exclusive to each other, I guess, right. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Okay. But I mean, I don't know if you heard this. I always just heard it was a rumor, but in Tomorrowland back in the 90s, they used to have a band come and play live band. Do you remember seeing bands play? Mm-hmm. Like right there where the the uh that one restaurant is mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. okay yeah uh and uh, a friend of mine from high school he claims that no doubt was one of the bands that actually played there oh my gosh yeah back before they made it big before they, they this album was released so probably you know going back to 92 93 maybe 94 ish 
in that that time frame that that's when they performed but i don't know it'd be interesting for those who are listening and know the band extremely well is this song tongue-in-cheek uh or do they really not really care for the walt disney company i, I would be kind of interested to hear about that but again it, as allison pointed out it's very important to remember that just because you may not necessarily love disneyland it doesn't mean that you don't love the oc along with it yes right? yes okay. good job okay but we we love disneyland right yes and the OC. Yeah. And but Anaheim. but but I guess we can also <laughs> Sorry. I guess we can also maybe relate to the point the fact that yeah, maybe uh you know we we maybe love the 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 content of Disney, the entertainment, but maybe not necessarily love the way it's being run, right? Maybe yeah, that's, that's a good true. way of putting There's it. Things too. that we could change for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like the stupid reservations. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I do think it's kind of an interesting discussion topic. So again, anybody who has more information about uh, no doubt and their relationship with the Walt Disney Company and Disneyland please uh, reach out to me let me know I'd love to hear more but uh, yeah so we reached the end this was uh, 14 songs of pure awesomeness with the exception of uh, you can do it again that one's maybe one you can cut out in my opinion and I guess <laughs> Allison, Allison thinks you can cut out 16 but yeah. I absolutely love this this album I listen to it constantly back in the 90s and even to this day I still go back and listen to these songs all the time not even just preparing for this podcast but um, you know Spiderwebs uh don't speak tragic kingdom those will probably be my three top picks for this album but again the whole album top to bottom is really fun listening experience i feel um you know what i think is really fun about this too is that um because i think we're both no doubt fans avery listens to some of the music and in fact like avery has a, a playlist of her own on my phone and it has several no doubt songs in it and then when we listen to songs as a family it's one that we pick together like we'll put on the no doubt record and we'll jam to that. So I think that's like speaks to the album itself that we as a whole family, even a seven year old really love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, we do. We call it like rock parties. So like we'll actually buzz out one of my vinyl records, play it on. And that's usually one of the ones that Al- that Avery wants to hear. In fact, she calls spider webs like I want to hear walking in the spider webs. <laughs> <laughs> which is so fun for me to hear her say that. So yeah, we're raising a right. Again, this is again, you know, Venn diagram of the Pineda family music. This is right dab in the middle where we both equally love it just as much as uh, the next person. Yep. And teaching our kids to love it. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Uh, cool. So I hope this was a fun experience for everybody listening uh, to the hear track by track review of No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Again, kind of like just randomly thrown in there. But again, it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. It's your party. <laughs> yeah. So did you have anything else you wanted to bring up about No Doubt or this particular album before we wrap up it was just really fun to listen to it with you like just to sit and jam to it a little bit was fun i really enjoyed this thank you oh you're welcome yeah this has become like my my favorite thing to do on the show i'll still do other episodes like you know next week i'm planning to talk about the super bowl so that'll be really fun to bring back some of my buddies for that i like those episodes (laughs) but uh yeah this is a cool format if people have recommendations please reach out to me i've even had a few people already reach out to me for album recommendations to go over track by track um, because I love music so much, I love doing it. And even if you're not necessarily like a, a huge music expert, just having your own opinion on what you think songs could be about and why you like songs, or maybe why you don't like a particular song, I think it's fun having a conversation about that, right? So, does this mean you're going to do a Taylor Swift one? Um, well, <laughs> thank you for listening to the Catching for Fun podcast. We'll see you next episode. Bye.